Hello, my name's Craig Barton, and welcome to the Tips for Teachers podcast, the show that helps you supercharge your teaching one idea at a time. Each episode, I invite a guest from the wonderful world of education to share five tips for teachers to try out both inside and outside of the classroom. With each tip, the challenge is always to ask yourself, what would I have to do or change to make this work for me, my situation, and my students? Experimentation and frustration may follow, but hopefully something good will come out of it. Now remember to check out our website, tipsforteachers.co.uk, where you'll find all the podcasts, as well as links, resources, and audio transcriptions for each episode. Better still, you'll also find a selection of video tips, some taken directly from the podcast and others recorded by me. These could be used to spark discussion between colleagues at departmental meetings, a twilight inset, and so on. Anyway, enough from me. Let's get learning with today's guest, the wonderful Adam Boxer. Now, spoiler alert, here are Adam's five tips that he shares with me in this episode. Number one, to make sure your students are ready to practice, use mini whiteboards. Tip two, to lower workload and build a better team ethic, make culture explicit. Number three, to reduce choppy time in lessons, use a front-loaded means of participation and wait for golden silence. Tip four, to make good use of data compared to other subjects. And tip five, to make homework more effective, integrate it with classwork. Now, if you look at the episode description on your podcast player or visit the episode page on tipsforteachers.co.uk, you'll see I've timestamped each of the tips so you can jump straight to anyone you want to listen to first or re-listen at your leisure. And just a warning, we go to town on tip one, the mini whiteboards. It's about 20, 25 minutes on that one, but it's well worth it. Anyway, enjoy the show. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. Adam Boxer to the Tips for Teachers podcast. Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm doing all right, Craig. How are you? Very, very good. Thank you. Right, Adam, for those of us who don't know, can you tell us a bit about yourself, ideally in a sentence? Uh, yep. I'm a head of science working at the Tottenham Academy in London, and I'm the education director for Carousel Learning. Ideal. Fantastic stuff. Right, let's dive straight in. What is your first tip? Um... Okay, my first tip is to make sure students are ready to practice, use mini whiteboards. Mini, You love a mini whiteboard, don't you? I love a mini whiteboard. Have you always loved them? No. Um, I am in my ninth, tenth, something year of teaching, uh, and I only started using mini whiteboards about two years ago. Um, and they are now an integral part of my practice, such to the extent that I don't know how I ever taught without them. Uh, and not just that, but um, I don't know how I would teach if I didn't have them. Uh, the very thought stresses me out. What changed two years ago to make you start using them? Um, so I joined my school in September 20... It was 21 this year, so it was 20, 2019. Um, and it, they were always something that I had sort of wanted to use, but had never really got round to using them. Um, and I'd been in a school where people had mini whiteboards, but nobody used them. Um, and I got some feedback from my boss, who is the best and keenest observer of teaching and learning 
uh, I've ever had the privilege of working with. And he basically just said to me, like, you asked a question to the students and you got an answer. But like, there are 25 kids in that room. You could have got 25 answers if you just use many whiteboards. And I was like, yeah, but they're such a faff. And like, he didn't say this in as many words, but he was basically just like, get over it. <laughs> um, sort it out. You know, you're a big boy. You can work it out. It's not, it's not a faff once you get used to them. Figure out a way to make it work in the physical space that you've got uh, and just go for it. And um, I've never looked back. Well, can you sum, us, sum up as easily as you can? How would you use them? So talk us through a little scenario. Um, so the, the, there's a physical routine that is associated with mini whiteboards, which is, uh, and again, the physical space is important because different classes have different setups. Um, I have six rows. I've got a big room and I've got six rows. Um, and each row has one basket and in the basket is are enough mini whiteboards enough pens enough rubbers for everyone on that row um, and we we train so like in the first lesson when I want them given out I, you know, I, I explain which student is going to give them out I explain exactly which direction the basket is going to move down the table I tell students if they don't have a pen they don't just go like oh so I don't have a pen they just put their hand up and wait and then I give the pens to another student to bring them around if there needs to be any spares uh, and we get that down to, to, to a pretty fine art and most of my classes can now do it in less than 15 seconds in complete nice. silence um, and like one of my classes is, is 40 students right so that's 40 mini whiteboards out um, within you know 15 seconds or so in complete silence and sorry great. to interrupt can you just um, give me a sense how long has it taken to get to that stage is, is that over a number of lessons of a practice yeah, like two lessons maybe oh, okay okay yeah and and even then like the first lesson it's like 45 seconds yeah, yeah. Um, so they get fast pretty quick nice. and like to be honest I have I have a couple of very very tricky classes um, and you know I'm head of department it's my job to to try and help the rest of the department in that way um, and so for some groups I'll lay them out first yeah it takes a couple of minutes <laughs> or or I'll get the previous class to do the grunt labor I'll just say look leave the mini whiteboards on the desk where you are and I'll just make sure they're neat and tidy so that when the students come in, they're there ready so that um, we call it shaping the path. You just minimize the chance for any kind of disruption or conflict to start because um, like it never starts like problematic. <clears throat> you know, what you'll have is a kid will be like, oh, I don't have a pen. And a kid from the row in front will be like, oh, don't worry, I've got one in the basket and we'll throw it at them. Right? And again, <laughs> like, like not, not, not even necessarily disruptively, right? But they'll just chuck them a pen. And, you know, it'll go wrong or whatever, or the kid who receives it will make a fuss. And before you know it, you've just got chaos. Yes. Right? So you just you just shape the path and you just avoid that happening. And yet some would say, no, the, it's re your responsibility to have high expectations, expect that that won't happen and give a consequence of it. I'm like, forget that. Just like put them out before and it'll be fine. Um, and, you know, you, then people are like, oh, well, how do you stop the kids doodling on them? So... If a kid doodles on the mini whiteboards, I make them stay afterwards and to clean all of the mini whiteboards. And then they don't doodle again. If a kid nice. draws a penis, I will take the mini whiteboard and I'll take a photo of it and email it to their mum right there and then. Um, oh like I've got I've got all the email addresses on my phone, so like I'll just do it and then they won't do it again. And they don't do it again. And like everybody laughs about it and it's funny, but they're also like, Oh god, that could have been me. So I'd love to see your camera roll, Adam, on your phone. Hey, that must be interesting. <laughs> yeah, tons of mini whiteboards <laughs> with yeah genitalia. Uh, no, it's I'll, I, I tend to delete them afterwards. Nice. Um, it's memory. You've got to save the memory. That's why. Um, so so yeah, like you just you just work it out. Different schools have different routines. People are like, oh, how do you you know make sure every room has enough pens? And I'm like, it's it, it's like 
it's like drinking water. Yeah, nobody ever says, how do you make sure you've got enough drinking water for your staff? Right, like pens are on tap. Yeah, mm. if, I, if, a, if a teacher needs mini whiteboard pens, they get them, no questions asked. Yeah, it's like, you know, obviously they're, you know, if, if, you, if I've got a class of teachers says me there's chaos in there, kids are throwing the pens all over the place, then, then you have to put in a different intervention, right? But if mm. the kids, if the teacher needs more mini whiteboard pens because the kids are doing loads of mini whiteboard work, It'd be ridiculous to say, well, I'm not buying those. It's like saying, no, I'm not paying for more exercise books. Yes. Yeah, it, it would be insane. So so mini whiteboard pens are basically on tap. Um, and other budget would move around that because there's other stuff that is less necessary. Um, so, you know, all of these practical problems, people are like, oh, this, that, or the other. I was that person. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it's just uh, get over it because it's worth it. Okay, so we've got the whiteboards, they're handed out, the kids have got all the pens and everything. Just talk us through a scenario how you'd use them, Adam, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, so um, normally people talk about using them for checking for understanding. Mm. Um, essentially, any time you want to know whether or not students understand something, um, you use mini whiteboards because you can gather you know, 30 times as much information. It's wild when you put it like that. If you ask one yeah, kid something, yeah, yeah. you get an answer. But 30 times uh, yeah, the information yeah. is, is I don't think people realize just how much bigger that is. Yeah, that is an astonishingly large um, jump. It's, it's, it's an order of magnitude multiplied by three. It's, yes. it's crazy yeah, 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 uh, yeah. when you put it like that. Um, and I'm talking to a mathematician. Okay, for, for everybody else, yeah, an order <laughs> of magnitude means multiplied by 10. Put another zero on it. Yeah, there we go. Right. Um, just, just, just for the punters at the back. Um, where was I? I've, I've in, in all of that patronising <laughs> world, I've lost my thread. So you've got right, thirty so responses, gathering loads, right? Yeah, yeah, gathering loads of data, um, which is great, and you've got to make sure you've got a routine for it as well, so the students know that they write their answer and then they hover, um, so they have the board facing down. Um, and again, we explain why they why to do that as well, because if you ask a student why, they'll say, oh, so that nobody else can copy. And then you follow mm. up and you're like, okay, well, why is copying bad? And they'll say, because uh, I don't want anyone to steal my answer. Yeah, that's what, that's what they'd normally say. Mm. Uh, because people, not children, people are self-centered and they think it's about them. But like the point of the mini whiteboard is, is and I said, I said, look, David, said, David said to me, uh, you know, it's about stealing, you know, stealing. Answers. I said, David, actually, you know, it's not about you. Yeah, if, if Danny steals your answer, yeah, obviously it's not nice because they've stolen from you. Yeah, but it also means that I can't help Danny. Because yeah. like Danny doesn't know it, Danny doesn't understand uh, he's just copied your answer, and now I think he knows it. He's like he's tricked me, and now like I can't help him. <laughs> yeah, it's my job to help you. And and Danny, if you're if you're lying to me and you're saying I understand this when you don't, like how do I even know? And then somebody else gets my time and you lose. So yes. it's not it's not even it's not even in your interests. Um, so it's important to like a lot of the shift in my teaching has been about moving from thinking about uh, a class as like just a group of individuals and thinking about like the whole class and how do I interact with the whole class. Um, and so mini whiteboards are about building that sense that we are a class working together. And it's about me getting information from the class and thinking about everyone in the room and not just the student I happen to be looking at or whatever. Um, and that's, that's part of the shift as well. Uh, and, and in a similar vein, you know, even if it wasn't about gathering assessment data, yeah. So let's say I'm. Let's say I've got a question which is long, right? So it's, it's you know it's a couple of sentences. People are like, oh, well, what's the point in doing it on mini whiteboards? You can't read everybody's. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I know I can't, but at least I know that everybody's written. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so if I ask the question verbally, I've got. I ask one kid, and I know that they've thought about the answer, but I don't know anything about the other twenty nine. Even if I do the most perfect cold call, you know everything. Like I don't know any. I don't know whether or not the other twenty nine are really thinking about it. 
Um, whereas when I use the mini and whereas and, and even if they're doing independent work in their exercise book, yeah, kids are brilliant at masking uh, mm. a complete lack of work. Um, so it, it might look to me like students are sat and working, but they could just be rewriting the questions, leaving blanks, highlighting, underlining the title or whatever. Uh, so when I use the mini whiteboards, then I, I have a much better chance that students are actually writing and thinking and doing, even if I'm not going to read everyone's and I don't, I pretend to. So, you know, I'll get them to show and I'll, I'll make a bee like yes. this, oh, yeah, yeah, like that. And I'll pretend to look at everyone's, but, um, obviously you know, like I said, I've got 40 kids in one of my class. I can't look at everyone's answer, even if it is only one word. Um, and then you're just looking at your the, your kind of target kids who give you information about the rest of the class. So you're, I guess your weakest third is, mm. is a good bet. So you look at five or six responses there. If those kids get it, you can make an assumption that everybody else does. If those kids don't, you do a quick reteach and then you do it again. You're aiming for like 80, 90% and then you can move on. Um, something along those lines broadly. Um and does it so, tend yeah. to be, Adam, are you, do you tend to use these, is it kind of midway through an explanation or is it sandwiched between an explanation and practice? When, when would they predominantly be used? <clears throat> Ordinarily, <clears throat> in, in two main parts. The first part is before an explanation in what we call a prerequisite check. Um, so for anything that I'm teaching, there's knowledge that, um, that the students need to have. I'll give you a good example here, something that I didn't do well enough. Um, I had for the first time in a, in, a, in quite a while last week I had a lesson where you know where you finish a lesson you're like right they just didn't get it yeah. they just like we're just hammering away at it. our lessons are 100 minutes and I'm like we were hammering away at it for 100 minutes they just didn't get it they didn't understand um, it was it's a very weak group um, I've taught them for a long time uh, they're year 11 and we were doing distance time graphs nice right and um, my explanation was. I, and I did a check before, so we know how to calculate speed, they understand what a distance is, they understand what time is, they know what the units are, all of that. So I thought, and they, and by the way, they know how to like, like understand a graph. So if I point to a point on the graph, they know, right, that's X equals yeah. four, Y equals seven or whatever. Um, so all of that was in place. Um, but what I realized as the practice was ongoing, and I, sorry, and I did that with mini whiteboards. Okay. Yeah, because it's crucial for me to get information about whether or not they know this because if they don't know it we can't move on mm. so when that is like the purpose of the mini whiteboard at that point is to gather information so i gave you already two purposes now purpose number one was to gather information purpose number two was to make sure that everybody's working yeah yet here i'm hitting purpose one big time yeah. purpose yeah. one big 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 time then what it transpired throughout the lesson the reason why they couldn't it was, and it wasn't all of them it was a few of them really couldn't get the distance time graphs was because they just struggled with basic number bonds mm. so i was saying things to them like right if you've gone from seven meters to 12 meters how far mm. have you gone and they were like 19 meters yeah yeah right and i'm like no no what's like what's the difference between 12 and 7 they were like i don't know what you're saying and it's like it was 12 take away 7 and they're doing it on their fingers yeah, yeah. right and and like that massively slows everything down and that's prerequisite knowledge they didn't possess and it meant that the, the, the lesson was a failure um and that's that's on me yeah, like I look in the mirror and I say, okay, my prereq check wasn't good enough. Right. Because I didn't anticipate all of the knowledge that they yes. needed and I made yes. some big assumptions. Uh, so, and that's on me, that's not on them. Yeah. Uh, earlier, Adam, of five years ago, would have got frustrated. Like, how can they not know this? Is incredibly annoying. But, like, okay, they, they don't. Simple fact is they don't, and I didn't check for it. It's tricky, um, that, isn't so it? Just, just as a little interjection there, trying to 
trying to get a sense of all the the full scope of prereq knowledge that kids need it's very easy to overlook little things like that isn't it you know stuff that kind of fits a little bit outside it, it's not the obvious stuff that you'd check for whenever you're thinking of you know yeah look, and so on yeah yeah i don't i don't want to be like uppity about it either but even the obvious stuff isn't checked for yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah you know I, I i'm very i'm very lucky you know i work four days in school and my other day i get to go to visit other schools i get to do all sorts of things and mm. people send me videos of lessons you know i'm very lucky i you know there aren't there aren't many science teachers who have seen as many lessons in as many different schools as i have and and i consider it a blessing like a real luck a, re, a real luck an honor and a privilege um and a responsibility to like give people good feedback mm. um and i've seen in you know, in many lessons, I've seen retrieval practice, I've seen independent practice, I've seen good modeling, um, I've seen good check for understanding, I've seen good questioning, I've seen great behavior management. Yeah, outside of my department, I have never seen a good prerequisite check. Wow. It's, it's, I've just not seen it. People don't do it. It's not normal. Because you put mm. up the slides, yeah, and you say, right, this is our learning objective, and then you launch into your explanation. Yeah, that's what happens, right? So you, you describe this, we're going to describe this, we're going to explain that, and we're going to you know, evaluate or the third thing, whatever it is. And then you just like go straight into your explanation. There's never a check, right? And I've seen people check for understanding after their explanation, which right, is great, okay, of course, yes, but, yes. but it's about doing it before, before the explanation. Uh, and it's not something that's common practice, even when it's like obvious stuff. Mm. Yeah, so so I still don't see it. And it's quick um, to do, especially with the mini whiteboards, right? It's super fast. Well, it can be. Um, it's fast to like get that snapshot. Yeah. But the process of thinking about it before yeah, is of not course, fast. Of course. And also the 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 review and the reteach can sometimes be long. So whereas yes. like your do now, which is just general retrieval practice, should be fast and punchy and quick and, and over and done with, you know, within ten minutes, your prereq check could take a long time. Mm. Because, you know, if I'm if I'm teaching distance time graph and I realize that my kids don't understand rate of reaction in the do now. I'm not reteaching yeah, it then and there. Course, I push course. it off, yeah? I'll do it another time. But but if I'm about to do my distance time graph and I realize that students don't understand how to plot a point on a graph, then I've got to do that now and I've got to jettison what I was planning today. Yes. Because there's no point, right? Okay, so we've got def one key use of the mini whiteboards is the, the prereq check. What would be, be the other yep. one, Adam? Um, so the other one is then straight after your explanation. Okay, so if you ask most people why to why you'd use mini whiteboards straight after an explanation, let's say again for assessment and checking for understanding, that is only half right, mm. um, because it, it is correct that um, that mini whiteboard is is a good check for understanding, and it, you know it's a great. There's no better check for understanding, but I think there's also something else that people don't uh, realize as much, which is um, uh, what we call consolidation. So when students have just started to learn something new, it's very kind of hazy uh, in their minds. It's the same for anyone. Um, it's, it's loose. Um, and if you ask them to practice straight away, straight after your explanation, even if they understand it in the sense that, yeah, I, I got that. That made sense. Yeah, they might not, they, they might not be ready. I, I'll give you a great example. Really recently, um, I was teaching isotopes with a year 10 class. And, um, oh God, I'm riffing now. I'm really going to have to search back and remember the exact format. <laughs> and um, we'd, I'd explain to them um, what an isotope was. Um, and I did a quick check for understanding. Um, so say, you know, these two things, isotopes. You know, just comparing two things next to each other. Are these two isotopes. 
who was like, yes, they're isotopes because they've got the same number of protons, different number of neutrons, great. Next question, are these two isotopes? Yes, great, fine. It's like kind of a multiple choice type thing with a bit of a push afterwards. And then the first, I was like, Craig, right, you guys ready to do some uh, independent practice? Go for it. And then the first question in independent practice was substantively the same thing. Um, but in terms of its like structure was different. So it wasn't like, are these two isotopes? I think if I remember correctly, it was um, making full reference to their protons, neutrons, electrons, explain why these two are isotopes. Yeah, and the kids were like, they just like, just didn't even start. They were like, I just don't understand. Like, I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, but I just checked, you know, again, past Adam would have been like, well, I just checked your understanding, didn't I? Mm. Yeah, the problem is that, 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 knowledge when it first starts is so flimsy it's so hazy yes, it's so ephemeral yes. and it's so cute and by you yes. know cute c-u-e so yeah. what you've just taught yeah. that like pushing it even that little bit further is going to be really difficult for the students and you know that's what a well-crafted question set does right it moves it from things they're really familiar with and you know i know that i'm talking to the doyen of variation theory and through really slight like variations moves it to things which are further and further away but like the that process we call consolidation and it's best done on a mini whiteboard and it's best done as a whole class uh the reason why i like doing it on a mini whiteboard is a because everybody writes i don't have a kid sitting there and be like yeah i get this yeah, yeah, and then i'm yeah. doing it by questioning or whatever and then they've not they've not yet verbalized anything they've not said anything um, so the consolidate part of the consolidation there is is like the act of doing something, yeah. You know, I let I've got thirty kids, right? And I ask a question of say six of them, and they all give me a great answer. Yeah, I've done a good check for understanding, but the other twenty four haven't had a chance to verbalize anything. They haven't had a chance to say anything. They haven't had a chance to like write anything to get those ideas out there. Uh, and what that means is that when they then get to practice, they're like. I don't know what to do and and they just don't do anything so the mini whiteboard is super powerful because it does both yeah it lets you check for understanding it also lets them it also makes sure that everybody is practicing uh, but also in like a format that is that they're not no kid is ever stressed out sorry provided you get your culture of error right kids are more happy to write something when they're not sure on a mini whiteboard than they are in a book yeah, because the kid's like, oh, if I get it wrong in the book, I have to cross it out, effort, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it's not running well. It's designed there to be, like, to be ephemeral. And, and like, your whole class environment is, what, the, what you're doing at that point is you're saying, right, we, we are hesitant. We're just getting used to this new knowledge. Yeah, let's give it a go, right? And there's no, there's no um, like, formal writing of the things down. Um, and so Mini White was really powerful for that. And so we don't actually, we talk in our department, we talk about what we call a check and consolidate. So we're doing two, we're doing two things at once. We are both checking whether they understand and getting loads of information, but we're also starting that process of consolidation. And that's about everybody writes and it's about getting started on the independent practice. Uh, and it's, and it's preparing for the independent practice. And I was very, I was very careful by the way, when I said my tip right at the beginning, I said, and I'll read it. Yeah. I said, to make sure your students are ready to practice, use mini whiteboards. So I didn't say to check your students' understanding. Yeah, I said nice. to make sure they're ready to practice. And part of being ready to practice is checking understanding, but part of being ready to practice is also starting that process of consolidation so that they can then go and start doing questions that are you know, a bit different to what you said. And they feel more comfortable and more confident because their knowledge has started to be uh, solidified and concretized. Uh, I guess a good way to think about it, you know, with four, you know, I was teaching year sevens about forces recently and I was showing them free body diagrams. And I was saying, you know, I showed them a whole load of different ones. And I said, is this a free body diagram? And the kid was like, oh, and, and again, we did mini whiteboards. Yes, no, yes, blah, blah, blah. Great. And then I moved the slide aside. Yeah. And I just said, um, I, I drew a free body diagram. And I said, 
what's the name of this kind of a diagram? Blank. Right. Well, hang on a second. We've just done loads of practice on free body diagram, right? Why does nobody, why can nobody tell me? Well, because they've never had the chance to like yeah, say that word. Yeah. They've never had a chance to like get that out. So, so then at that point I did a call and response, right? Because the right thing there is they just need to say it. And then, and then after that, I did another example where they had to write down the word free body diagram, nice. right? But, but like, they're just not ready at that point. And it's not about checking for understanding. They do understand. Yeah. Because they're just answered five or six questions correctly. Yes. They do understand, but they're not it's not consolidated yeah understanding is a spectrum and you start off with like this hazy ephemeral knowledge and then it builds and builds and builds and builds but you've got to realize at the beginning it's flimsy it's straw I think does that, does that answer your question good. I just wrote That's good. I'll tell you what one bonus question on your first tip Adam before we move on Wait. okay final question on mini whiteboards Adam um, I wonder if you've got any uh, techniques or advice for getting reluctant staff um, on board for using mini whiteboards and the reason I ask is I saw on Twitter I believe you were running a CPD session where you kind of use mini whiteboards by stealth can you just talk a little bit about that if that's all right yeah so um so I again I'm lucky I'm very blessed people ask me to deliver CPD in training um, and more and more um, the sessions that I deliver look more and more like my lessons so I deliver them in the same way that I teach so the same modeling strategies, the same questioning strategies, the same mini whiteboard strategies. Um, so I always ask to make sure there are mini whiteboards out. <laughs> and sometimes that involves a hunt around the school, yeah, normally yeah. to the maths department, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, but I do always ask for there to be mini whiteboards on show because um, they're brilliant for me when I'm giving CPD because I want to check for understanding as well. Um, and I want to be able to give people the chance to consolidate and write and practice. Um, and I also want to model the kind of things that I do in the classroom. Uh, and basically, you know, across the course of that, people sort of get it. So it wasn't the session about mini whiteboards, but people like, you know, obviously I talk about them and I'm like, by the way, do you see how powerful that was that I just yeah. used the mini whiteboards? People who are used to sitting in CPD like this and just, you know, gazing into the middle distance. And I'm now kind of, you know, forcing them to be engaged and to get involved. And like, it's quite enjoyable. Um, and uh, I've always felt that there are some... Teachers are humans, yeah. So there are some humans that will never change. Yeah, you ask them to do something a bit differently, nah. The answer is no. Okay, fine. You know that that's a minority. Yeah, the the majority of teachers want to do a better job. Mm. The problem is like humans are naturally predisposed to think that we're already doing a good job, mm. um, and we're not good at taking uh, feedback that says you can do better. So I think it is always about showing. It's it's either about proving. To people that they've gone wrong somewhere uh, or it's about showing them that they can do better so for example when my boss said to me look you got a, you did a really good question it was a really good check for understanding you got one piece of data do you not think you could have collected 25 and and like I couldn't say how can you say no to that mm -hmm. yeah it's just like so obviously right and he's saying to me you can do better yeah yeah he's saying you can do more got it got it right Tip two, Adam, what are we going for? Oh, blast. Um, two, oh, here we go. To lower workload and build a better team ethic, make culture explicit. Make culture explicit. Okay, tell me more about this. Um, so culture is uh, amorphous and difficult to define, um, but it's about kind of, I guess, a shared set of values and, uh, and, and understanding about the way that you work together. Um, and there are f what, what happens a lot it, the first, the most common thing that happens is that is that teams don't have a culture. Mm -hmm. You have teams of people who like work together, 
but there's no like the, the culture is like people have banter together but there's no culture of like really supporting each other or really being alert to other people's needs um, or or going specifically out your way to lower other people's workloads, stuff like that. That's the most common thing that happens. Um, but there's there's other things that can happen that where you do have that kind of shared understanding, but then someone new, for example, joins the team and it's not like, you know, and sometimes things happen in schools where you're like, oh, this is working well and you don't see all of the work that's gone in to make that happen to start with. Um, I'm not doing a very good job of defining this. So, so I'll give you some examples. Yeah. One example is about around accountability. Yeah. So people miss deadlines or people make a mistake or whatever. Um, so we have this thing at my school called the accountability line. There's this thing called the accountability ladder, which is basically a ladder of ways to respond to something going wrong. And at the bottom is stuff like it's not my fault or it's someone else's fault or I didn't know about it. Uh, or there's one lovely phrase, which is wait and hope. So oh, okay. it's, you, you know, you've missed the deadline or whatever. You just wait and hope that nobody notices. <laughs> and all of those things are considered being below the accountability line. Right, being okay. above the accountability yes. line is saying, I'm sorry, that shouldn't have happened. This is what I'm going to do to sort it next time. And we, our department doubled in size this year. And a bunch of times earlier on in the year, I um, I said, you know, I said to people, look, uh, I'm going to be above the accountability line here. I'm sorry this happened, blah, blah, blah. And people were just like, this to me? And uh, I didn't realize, but like, I'd never adequately explained what the accountability line was. So I got the ladder. We looked at the pitch together in the department meeting. I explained what it was. I explained why it's important. I explained that, you know, humans make mistakes and that's fine. But ignoring your mistake is, is, is a conscious and deliberate thing. Um, and it's crucial that, that, that we apologize and we do that properly. And I modeled that. Um, you know, I, I apologize regularly for stuff I've not done. Um, li this week, literally, for the, for, on Friday, I do a morning duty on a Friday. For the first time this year, I missed it. I just completely, I clean forgot about it. Um, and nobody noticed nobody knew i went to the deputy head yesterday um and i said i said i said tom um i missed my duty on friday um i don't want to wait and hope um i just want to tell you that i missed the duty <laughs> fortunately nothing happens there were no that i know of no fights or anything um but yeah and i've set a, a reminder in my outlook for every friday so it doesn't happen again yeah and, and i would happily tell say that i said that to anyone like missing a duty is is a safeguarding issue mm. it's not a small thing yeah it, it, it it's a big concern right and but i could have just ignored it and, and waited and hoped and nobody ever would have confronted me about it um but it was a mistake i owned it and and i would happily tell anyone that i made that mistake um and and um in the, in the interest of being above the accountability line. But like, if you don't have that conversation, you don't make it clear, people will miss deadlines mm. and you won't know about it. Yeah, whereas as a department, you know, individuals here and there do miss a deadline, but I always know about it. I'm always told, it's no, and it's normally flagged in advance. Um, and again, like, you know, nobody's in trouble. Yeah, it's just a case of, okay, how has this happened and what do we do next? Um, you know, there are other things as well. So, so, um, all of our communications are via Teams. We don't email in our department. Everything is via Teams. If someone puts a message in the wrong channel, yeah? So if there's a message that needs to go to year eight teachers and they put it in the general channel, mm. yeah? That's not how Teams should be used. And it's annoying for others because if they see a message in the general channel, they assume they need to read it and then they read it and it doesn't actually apply to them. So if someone puts it, a message in the wrong channel, 
I will comment there and then. I won't do it behind, you know, quietly, have a quiet word. I'll comment there and then. I'll say, I say, this should be reserved for the Year 8 channel. Please delete it and put it there. And, and again, like, and, and people will do that, you know, because it, it's important that everybody sees that this culture it doesn't mm. arrive by accident. It's done yeah, on purpose. Yeah. We have, you know, we we have a, whenever we have a departmental action, we make this thing called a Trello card for it. It's just, a, it's, it's like an action and it says exactly what they need to do and underneath there's space to comment. And there are some things where we'll ask for a comment. So for example, if we're doing teaching and learning, we might put a, t a video of a teacher and I'll say, please put your comment with your feedback in, in the area underneath. A lot of actions don't need a comment. And recently a teacher put a comment under the action about what they've done or whatever. And I wrote back and I said, thank you, that's really interesting, just so that you know, you you didn't need to write a comment for this one. Now, I could have just ignored it because people would say, oh, well, you're, you're embarrassing that person mm -hmm. or whatever, but think about everybody else. If one person writes a comment, then the next person yeah. writes a comment, then the next person writes a comment, then the next person writes a comment, before we know it, we've, we've wasted six people's time with something they didn't yeah. need to do. So that stuff, like, you just need to get it out, you need to be explicit, and you need to explain why, right? So that, what I just said to you about that comment, I then took to the department meeting and I said, that's why I said it, because it's about thinking about everyone. And like, obviously, you know, that comment was brilliant. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. You know, in a sense, I'm glad they wrote it because I got, I got to read what they were saying. But at the same time, I didn't want anybody else to think that they had to do that. Yeah, which is why I asked, you know, which is why I said that explicitly. Um, you know, we had a good case recently. We don't, you know. I, I posted as well, one of my colleagues who doesn't have any leadership responsibility last week on a Tuesday, wherever it was, they got four emails that day. That's it. Four emails. And as opposed to normally where you get dozens of emails with things that you don't need to see, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and again, if someone, anytime I get an email that I don't need to read, that is, that is made, it's made clear that that email shouldn't have been sent to me. Yeah, and now that'll either be by me directly, or if it's something that keeps happening, it'll be through line management. Because, and it sounds like a dick move, right? People are like, "Oh, how can you be so rude?" And I'm like, I, I, it, "Look, you know, it, it's about workload, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. if it takes me 45 seconds to read your stupid email and realize that it, that I didn't actually need to read it, that's 45 seconds that I could have been helping my students. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, have yeah. that time to waste. And if I'm getting 50 of these a day, it's it's highly problematic." Um, but again, you make specific conscious actions to make sure that doesn't happen. Otherwise, it just will. We had one of my um, one of my colleagues wanted to take a couple of kids out of a lesson to do um, some kind of enrichment thing. And he emailed the teachers who are outside the department, a P teacher and an RE teacher and said, is it OK if it you know, if I take them out of this lesson? And he'd copied me in and I immediately messaged him and I said, I said, I said, it's not OK. Um, we need to do it in a science lesson and it was it was a time thing so it was they were supposed to do it at a certain time I said I said we we can't be taking students out of other people's lessons um, and and I was very clear about the reason for that I wasn't rude I wasn't mm. you know I was blunt but I wasn't rude mm. I said in many schools there is a you know people are taking kids out of lessons the whole time for this trip for that trip for the other trip for this P thing for that whatever yeah and and before and before you know it you know and then you've got kids turning up who you thought weren't turning up and people are like oh well why didn't you read the email that, that you got sent four weeks ago with the name of 17 kids who've all moved class since then and it's absolute chaos and pandemonium it's not acceptable it's annoying it's frustrating and it ruins the flow and the kind of natural harmony of what needs to happen in a good efficient and professional school so I, I said all of this to him I, I said look the reason why you don't have students coming out of your lessons, which is annoying to you, is because we don't do stuff like that. Yeah? 
And if we allow things like that to happen, then it starts here and it moves to somewhere else and then someone else is doing it and then someone else is doing it. Before, before you know it, we've got that chaos, which you know from your previous school, uh, and, and, and it just doesn't help anybody. And it just ends up being annoying and frustrating. You're getting dozens of emails that, you know, all of that is, is conscious and deliberate and explicit. And if you don't make it, explicit if you're not clear about those reasons and like it's not like that teacher was like oh adam you're being so rude to me telling me i can't do something yeah we just rearranged it for the next day it's not a big deal and they were like oh yeah that makes sense you know when you explain to people that the most important things that you do in a school um in terms of deadlines and and um, making sure things work are the things that affect other people as well yeah yeah so setting cover making sure your cover is proper and people are like oh don't worry it'll be done like no yeah, this affects somebody else. It needs to be moved to the top of your list immediately. Yeah, and, and, and again, you're explicit about stuff like that and you're really clear and then you show accountability if you fail to meet that mark. Um, it, it's, it just makes the team better. It's, it makes everybody more efficient. It means nobody has this nonsense workloads and things that they have to do that don't make any sense, that don't apply to them. You know, it's, just, it's just better all around. And sometimes, yeah, you do have to be blunt with people and a bit un-British. Um, but, but like, you know, and, and again, what you would hope is that someone would say to you, you know, you build a culture where someone would say, Adam, I think the way you said that to me wasn't polite. And I say, I say, I'm sorry. Okay. I apologize. Um, I know that sometimes I'm in a bit of a rush. I know sometimes I can speak, um, bluntly and too curt. I'm sorry. Please let me explain my reason again. Is that okay? Completely different conversation. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it just, you know, the culture and the environment, the ethic, the way that everybody pitches in much better i like it so the message i'm getting here um regardless of whether people agree or not with the kind of policies that embody this culture the key to getting this culture is make it really explicit be really consistent about it and would it be the case do you think because obviously you get these kind of whole school cultures but can you influence it at a departmental level do you think regardless of what's going on whole school yeah like i said you know our department only uses teams Right, there's no other department in the school that ah, only uses right, teams, okay. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Our department uses Trello as an organization lab. Nobody else uses Trello. Yeah, we have specific ways of working that other departments don't have. You know, folder curation. Yeah, so this is this relates to the same thing. You know, we have in our folders, you go in, it says Key Stage 3, Year 7, you've got six folders, one for each unit that we teach. You open the folder, there is one file there, that's it. And that's the booklet for that unit. Normally you open it up, it's got lesson one, and then it's got six Word documents, it's got four PowerPoints with different initials, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, what's wrong with that? Like, I just, it's just where I want to put my stuff. And I'm like, it's, it's wrong because it means that if I want to know what I'm supposed to do today, I have to look through eight documents in order to figure that out. And what that means is that what you've done affects somebody else. Uh, so what we have is we have one file and that's it. There's another folder there called archive or other, and you can dump your crap there, all you like. But if people put stuff in the wrong place, or if people rename documents and put their like initial at the end of it or whatever, I'll delete it. I'll delete it, I will delete it, that it's made very clear they get one chance. And the first chance is, I send them a message, I say, just so you know, there's this document there, please could you move it? Yeah, and then the next time I delete it, uh, and I'll explain again, I'll explain why. And I say, please, can you move it? The reason we do this is because it means that somebody logging in goes into the folder and isn't sure which one to use and spends valuable time trying to figure that out. Um, and then if it happens again, I just delete it and I send them a message afterwards. And I say, just so that you know, um, there was this document there. And, uh, you know, like I said last time, it means that other people will get confused and it will take their time. So I've deleted it now. 
Uh, and if they want, they can email IT support and they'll be able to recover that document. But but if you, there's no con if there's no consequence, people are going to keep doing it. Um, and so I think we have every year at the beginning of the year, we have a couple of teachers um, who are new to the department and, you know, make a mistake once or twice. Uh, and again, they get a very polite explanation uh, and then it doesn't happen again. Uh, and it doesn't happen again. And it means that people don't waste their time. Uh, and the same applies for people editing documents. Yeah, we're blessed now with uh, OneDrive and ShareDrive. It means like you can look at version history, right? Yeah. So if someone's messed up all the margins in the document, yeah, you open the version history, you see who it was. You just go have a quiet conversation with that person. You say, look, if you're not 100% sure about how they're formatting and stuff, just ask me and I'll help. Yeah, but but look, and I, say, and I take them and I say, look, you see how everything's cut off now and it's yeah. moved to the wrong page and blah, blah. I'm now going to have to go and edit that back so that when we print it next year, it's it all works and it all makes sense. Okay, that that's why I don't want you to do it. Okay, um, and and again, you're just making it clear. You're being explicit. You're giving people a chance. You know, you're you're telling them, um, and then and then people don't make that mistake again. It's it's dead interesting this Adam, because there's a real danger is that you can listen to this and think, oh God, he's being petty about this. It's such like small things, and when you think about reducing workload you, you immediately think of the big things right you think of your marking policy and all that yeah but what i'm getting from you is that these small things th these are the real killers in terms of workload because these are the things that that take 30 seconds of your time here a minute and a half of your time here they frustrate you they stress you they build up they they prevent you getting focused and cracking on with what you want to do so eradicating these is possibly just as important as dealing with the, the kind of big hitters would that be fair oh 100 if you're a frontline teacher and you've got six lessons in a day and you've got a kid coming back in break for help with this and you've got kids coming in lunch for detention yeah. and then after school you've got to call a couple of parents and then you've got to do some marking of you know an assessment that you did today or whatever if you get 30 emails on top of that yeah yeah like when are you going to find the time to do that right so so either you're going to burn yourself out into the evening doing it or you're going to end up ignoring them yeah. uh, and there might be something important in there for you so if you're not if you don't sweat these details you know, we like our staff surveys are always off the charts, right? Like every, you know, I'm not, I'm not just saying this. We do a big anonymous survey as part of the academy chain every single year. It's not even run by us. It's run by an external polling agency. And like our staff are happy. Everyone mm. is happy. We work hard, but we know that our workload is like sort of really importantly. Mm. Uh, and all of those mini things, they, they really do add up. Um, and you know, like we just, we've had like, like I've had really big internal debates about like even the way that we enter data because we've got like a central spreadsheet that we need to put data into, but also the MIS, the management information system. And I'm like, I'm like stressing out because I'm asking people to put data into two places. Mm -hmm. They need to put it into our spreadsheet so they can calculate the grades or whatever, and then put it into the MIS as well to Sims, Arbor, Bromcom, whatever it is that you use. And I'm trying to figure out a way so that we can do it so that it doesn't involve that double entry. How long does it take a teacher to do that? Five minutes? Seven minutes? Mm. Yeah, but that's seven minutes they could be planning an explanation. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah. Or, you know, that's seven minutes they could be going home earlier to yeah, see their, yeah. their family. Yeah, yeah so, so why would I take that away from them if I can protect it? Makes sense. Makes sense. Adam, tip number three. Tip number three. To reduce choppy time in lessons, use a front-loaded means of participation and wait for golden silence. Now, there's a few buzzwords in here. So we've got cho choppy time, front-loaded, yeah. and golden silence. Right, yeah. take, take us through each of these. Okay, choppy time is, is like noisy time. Yeah, when kids aren't misbehaving, 
Yeah, but there's noise. So, for ah, example, right, okay. when they're giving out the mini whiteboards. Yeah, if right, you say, okay. yeah, so, you know, you want the mini whiteboards to be given out, you say, give out the mini whiteboards. That leads to choppy time. Got it. Like now, it. what we saw before earlier is that that choppy time can escalate. And um, I, I had a whole thing that I that I used to say. It was like Yoda style. You know, Yoda's like, hate leads to suffering. Suffering leads to anger. Anger leads to jealousy. And jealousy leads to the dark side. Yeah, that good. kind of thing. It basically, like, n noise leads to hubbub, mm. leads to disruption, leads to conflict, leads yeah. to defiance. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and experienced teachers know that if you nip it early it ends up always being better. Yeah. And that little bit of hubbub and that bubble, that noise that you think is okay, very, very quickly turns into stuff that isn't okay uh, and is uncontrollable. Um, so if you want to like reduce that, that choppy time, you need to be clear with your instructions. Now telling people to be clear with their instructions is not good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because how do you, if I said to you, be more clear. Yeah. What, like enunciate? Yeah, like, like what? It's like when people are tell kids, like, yeah, you didn't read the question. They read the question. Yeah, yeah they read yeah. the question. No, they, 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 read, they, they need to read the question more carefully. Okay, how do you read more carefully? Yeah. What, like, you just do it slowly? Like, can you read slowly? <laughs> Reading slowly is hard. Yeah, it's actually work. <laughs> so it, it's just a nonsense, yeah? So telling people they need to be clearer is rubbish, Yeah. right? So what they need to do is they need to front load their means of participation. Okay. So means means of participation is how you want the students to do the thing. So let's say you're asking a question, you want hands up, you're saying um, hands up. And you're being explicit about that. If you want them to answer on a mini whiteboard, you're saying on your mini whiteboard. Okay. If you say, if you want them to do it in silence, they're going to do it in silence. If yep. you're going to do it quietly talking to your partner, you're going to do it quietly talking to your partner, that kind of stuff. Uh, and front loading is putting that at the beginning of your instruction. Because if you say something like, um, you know, Everybody write down the equation for speed, distance. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so if you say, no, if we did mini whiteboards, it's, better, it's, it's easier. Yeah? If I say, okay, I want everyone to get the mini whiteboards, uh, but I want you to do it quietly. By the time I get to the, but I want you to do yeah. it quietly, they've started yeah. getting the mini whiteboards and they're noisy. Yes. Yeah, and you've lost it because they're not listening to you anymore. They're focused on the mini whiteboards and then noise, hubbub, disruption, chaos, pandemonium, nuclear, thermonuclear war, right? Um, all of those. Like, can you imagine just... the, the silence one's a big one as well, right? If you don't yeah, front exactly. load it with the silence, they're already counting exactly. to the person next to So you yeah. say things like, okay, guys, we're going to do this next bit in complete silence. That's good. Nobody is going to talk. Quietly, grab your mini whiteboards. Nice. And then, key, wait. And wait. The, one of the most important ingredients to an instruction is the wait afterwards. Because what I see a lot is people start their instruction, then they take a question from a kid over here, they take a question from a kid over there, and then they start talking to someone at the back, and then they start repeating their instruction or whatever. And before you know it, that hubbub is like yeah, yeah, off yeah, the charts. Yeah, yeah. You've got some kids working, some kids chatting, then a teacher starts circulating, talking to this kid, that kid. Yeah, it's all about that weight, right? It's about making sure that everyone is on the same page. So so you're doing the mini whiteboards, we're going to do that talking completely quietly, everyone's going to get their mini whiteboards. And then if a kid says, oh, sorry, I don't have my pen, and you start walking over and you give him pen, anyone else not got a pen, go over there, go over there. Before you know it, kids are talking. Yeah. Because why yeah, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. Okay, so we modify the instruction again. We say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this completely without talking. If you find you don't have a pen, and again, I'm not even saying them to get the mini whiteboards yet. I'm waiting for that to the end, yeah? yeah? If you find you don't have a pen, you just raise your hands. I don't want to hear any noise. I don't want to hear you calling out or speaking to anybody about your pen. You just... Pop your hand in the air. Uh, what are we going to do if we don't have a pen, David? 
very good. You're gonna put. Uh, wait, are you gonna call out to me that you don't have a pen? No, no, no. Just perfect. Well done. It's just gonna go up in the air, nice and quiet. Excellent. Okay, eyes back up here. That way. That way. Good. Lovely. Right. Um, very, very quietly. And if we don't have a pen, our hand's gonna go up. We're just gonna grab our mini whiteboards. Go now. And then I wait. Kids put their hand up. I'm still waiting. I go like this. Give them a thumbs up. I go. Or I sign. Wait. Yeah, Makaton sign for wait. That's that one. I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's funny because like I spend a lot of time in Israel. In Israel, everyone signs wait like this. You put like oh. two hands, you go like this, like this. It's like a really common sign. It means wait. Jeez. And um, I always, I keep doing this to the kids. They're like, <laughs> look at me like I'm completely mad. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, because the second you start to introduce that noise, it all flips up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's there's hubbub, noise, chaos, etc. Um, so yeah, it's about that wait. And then once everyone's got their mini whiteboards and those kids have got their pen up, you just quietly call one kid towards you give him a box and you just say go take a pen to everyone with a hand up yeah okay right eyes up here guys lovely and then you can ask your question you know and that just like if you apply that to every single occasion where you give instructions yeah let's say the kids are about to practice okay okay so you've just done your check for understanding you say okay um eyes up here please oh here's a really good one yeah when the kids put their mini whiteboard up to show you their answer yeah you have a look you say have a look you go okay I don't want anyone to rub off their answer, put it down. Now, why does that work? It works because if you say put it down, some of them start yeah, rubbing off, of others of them aren't rubbing yeah. off. You yeah. start talking, some of the kids are listening to you, some of the kids aren't yeah. listening to you, you want them to look at their work, but they don't have their work. So you say, okay, um, who wrote, someone wrote 24, who was it that wrote 24? And, and a kid was like, oh, I think it was me. Gone, lost it, you lost the magic, right? So you make sure you say, don't rub it off, put it down. And they nice. don't rub it off and they put it down. And then you talk through the answers and you say, okay, guys, I want you now to quietly rub it off. Lovely. Next question. Smooth, clean, clear, crisp every time. Kids are about to start practicing. You say, okay, guys, um, eyes up here, please. We've all finished with our mini whiteboards. Lovely. Eyes up here. Okay. Um, I want everyone quietly to turn in their exercise book, please, to the clean page. Okay, really good. I want everyone to get their booklet. Turn to page 14, please. Lovely. Question six. Don't need to write out the question. Quietly, by yourself, answer question six to 14. And even then, I messed up. So I said question six first. I shouldn't have done. I should have started by saying, we're not going to write full sentences. We're not going to write the question. Quietly, by ourselves. I want you to answer from question six to 14. Compare that, say to we've now finished with the mini whiteboards okay everyone get your books and start question six to fourteen yeah chaos yeah yeah because yeah. some kids are squirreling looking for their yes. book whatever and then they're like which question was it which yeah. question yeah. chaos noise hubbub blah 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 yeah that's good give me give me the give me the so i've got the, the lingo right here adam give me that tip one more time tell me tell me those oh wait i haven't finished phrases. the golden silence oh. bit yet oh yeah go yeah go go okay so a quiet class Mm. Yeah, it's not necessarily a class that you can disturb with noise. Yeah, so so the, the 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 example that I like to use is the register. Yeah, so let's say your kids come in, there's work for them to do on the board in silence. Yeah, yeah. And they've just got quiet and they're and they're starting the work. If you call yeah. the register, that then bad call. Yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. the I, I don't hundred percent have a good theory to fully explain this yet. But what I think is that people get engrossed in a task. And when they first start a task, they're not engrossed in it, and any noise will like disturb them. 
like mm. this or that or whatever. Mm. And if a kid like says they don't have a book or whatever, and you start having a conversation with that kid, you you add to the noise, noise yeah. hubbub, etc. But once kids are like focused and in the task, when you then put a bit of noise in, it's okay, it works. Interesting. That point isn't the point at which silence is reached. That's you know a minute after, and I call that golden silence. Ah. Yeah, it's the point in time at which they are engrossed in their work. And you can interrupt it just a little bit with a little bit of noise, i.e. a register or talking to a kid or whatever, and you don't flick that noise up. Uh, some classes, by the way, will never reach golden silence. Yeah, and you need to keep a lid on them the whole, whole time. Yeah. And classes like that, for example, if you ever, you know, if a kid puts their hand up to ask a question, you start having a question with them across the room, it's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah? You never, ever do that. I mean, you should never do it anyway. But with some classes, it's worse than others. Most classes will reach a point of gone silence, at which point you can like interrupt it a bit by going to talk to one kid, taking your eye off yeah. this kid, you know, going to a little bit of circulation over here or there, whatever. Um, but but yeah, if you go too early, you kill it. That's interesting. You know what? That that answers a problem I've had for many years, and that's I always used to get in trouble for taking the register too late. Like if it's not done within the first five minutes of the lesson, some illegal things happened or something. I used to get told regularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the well, alarm bells go off in Whitehall. Yeah, that's exactly. But like taking the register whilst they're trying to get on with the do now or something, it's just a disaster waiting to happen because, and now having heard you describe it, it's because they're not in that kind of deep focus state where anything from me is distracting them left, right and centre. So the perfect time to do the register would be maybe like 20 minutes into the lesson whilst they're practising away. But sometimes you just can't do that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's, it's one of those where like, where like once you've had a bit of experience in the classroom it like you're like oh right obviously mm. um and you know things like let's say a kid trips on a chair yeah <laughs> right. let's say kids are quiet and working right yeah imagine two scenarios yeah yeah the same class yeah they're both quiet they're both working a kid is moving to the bin to put some pencil shavings or whatever and yeah. trips a bit on a chair in both classes. Mm. In one class, everyone starts to turn around, hey, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the other class, which is the same kids, people don't even clock. That's because the second class has hit golden silence mm. and the first class hasn't. Yeah, and, and that's like, it's like a magic moment when you know that you're in the clear. Yes. Right, and if people tell you to break it before then, they're wrong. That's interesting. I like that. Right. So I'm going to ask you again. Give, give me the give me the three key phrases there. Right. right. So we it. had to reduce choppy time, which is that like noisy, yep. bustly bit. Yeah. Yep. Front loaded is about yep. putting it at the beginning. Means participation is how you want them to participate. Yeah. Um, and uh, so like quietly or in your books or whatever. And then golden silence is the point at which you could disturb things a little bit and there won't be chaos. And in terms of phrases that I've borrowed, so means participation I've stolen from Doug Lamov. Uh, choppy time isn't a real phrase it's just like noise like or whatever time. and then uh, front loaded and golden silence i made up myself hey there you go <laughs> love it love it right adam tip number four please all right to make good use of data compared to other subjects yeah tell, tell me about this because and the reason i found this interesting was it's very easy isn't it just to get kind of in your own silo just focused on in my case the math results and so on and so forth so so why, why are we bringing in other subjects yeah so so most data in schools is nonsense um and it's used <laughs> really really badly 
Um, and the reason why is because it takes average measures and applies them to individuals. So um, it, it's like, you know, if you have, let's say you've got a kid who's in year nine or whatever. Um, and so they start school in year seven and they're 110 centimeters tall. And then in year nine, they're 160 centimeters tall. And you go to the little charts on the NHS and it says, well, look, you know, 11 year olds who are 110 centimeters tall on average end up being 170 centimeters tall when they're in year nine. Mm-hmm. This child is clearly too short. I mean, like that's obviously nonsense, right? Because those are average measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On average, the kids in year seven who are X will end up being, being Y in year nine. And that's what all school data is, right? All school data is. You know, secondary secondary data, yeah. For the for the for the you've got five hundred thousand students in every cohort. In general, for the fifty thousand students that come in at this particular level, they go out at that particular level. Mm, mm. And then what we do is we say, right, well, this student was in that bracket. Why aren't they at that level now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're below target. Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, it's you know, it's, it's normal, it's natural. Yeah, don't stress. So a lot of the time that's a problem and you get sent data that says these kids are below target do yeah. something about it yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah so so the problem is yeah for every kid that's below target there'll be a kid who's above target and that's again normal and natural and so it's difficult then to figure out who the kids that you really actually like okay this kid's below target because their target's stupid yeah yeah i mean you've got a kid who just got a six you know or a four or whatever and their target is a nine like yeah it could be that i'm really shit at my job or it could be that their target is rubbish. Um, it could be both, of course. Uh, you can never really know. But the point is, you, that, that's the point. You can't really know. So what, what we tend to do in the department is we say, right, well, these kids are below target. Let's see how they did in maths and English. Right, okay. So let's say I've got a kid whose target is a six, and they got four in science. Yeah. I look at their maths and English, and they got four in maths, and they got four in English. Okay, I don't care. Kid's right. fine. Kid's yeah, fine. Yeah, target's yeah. wrong. Yep. But if I look at that kid, he's he got four in science, he's got six in, six target, and he's got six in English, six in maths. Okay, what what are they doing that I'm not? Mm. Yeah, because you know, look, obviously it could be some kids are really good at English and maths and not good at science. Yeah, but in most cases, you'd expect students to be roughly in the right place in maths. Yeah, plus or minus one. Yeah, if a kid's five yeah. in science and six in yeah. English and maths, yeah, yeah, not that bothered, right? But if a kid is two grades out. Um, then I start to think, mm, hang on, could I be doing something a bit differently yes. here? That is smart use of data, yeah, because it kind of removes that um, that natural error around the distance between where they are and their target, uh, and says, you know, look, look, if you've got a kid who's got four for you and they've got seven in English and seven in maths, you're doing something wrong. Mm. All right, it's not necessarily you're doing something wrong, but you could do something differently to help that kid out more. Yeah, what, what's going on in English and maths that he's doing fine and he's not in science? What's the story here? Investigate, figure out. Yeah, don't use that data as a stick to beat people with, yeah. but you say, what what is going on here? Um, and I think that is a I think that is a good use of data. Um, I imagine some statisticians will say it's still well dodgy, um, but I think in general that's a better route. And, and there will be times, you know, so we sit around and look at data like this as a department, because it's important if you're entering data, you do something with it. We don't enter a lot of data, and the data that we do enter, we do something with. Mm. Uh, we'll look at the data and we'll say, um, look, you know, this kid is, this is where they are. Uh, this is where they could be. 
um, is there anything we could do differently? And sometimes the teacher will be like, I don't know what I could do differently. And I say, you know, do you think if I put them on a report to me, do you think that would help? So maybe, I don't know, this, that, or the other. You have that conversation uh, and then you tailor your response accordingly. You don't need to stick to beat someone with and we're not, we don't have like data targets. Yes, we don't have, you know, those three targets a year for your performance management or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that's just a, like a quick, it's not necessarily easy, it depends on your data systems, but you should be able to get someone to teach you how to do a VLOOKUP or a pull-out from four matrix or whatever um, to figure out what they've got in English and maths. But that can give you much, 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 much better information than just looking at their distance from their target. That's brilliant. But I always oh, and also, that. it works oh, the other way around. You can have a kid who's on their target. Yeah. yeah. So if a kid is, his target is four, he got four in science, but he's got eights in English and maths. Mm. Yeah, don't be resting on your laurels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's not good enough. That's interesting. I remember a few years ago, I, I had this year 11 class and there was a lad in there and everyone wanted him to be in their class because he got a ridiculously low result at SATs at Key Stage yeah. 2. And you could, like, he was going to absolutely smash his target and it was just, like, amazing. And like, you, I was thinking, what a great teacher I am because he's going to beat his target by like, three levels or whatever. But then you had other kids in the class who you thought, I mean, their target's a joke. But you kind of dismiss that as a joke but mm -hmm. celebrate the ones where the, yeah. the two and, and, you know. And and that kid, the proof of the pudding is that kid will have been doing the same in English, maths, and science, etc. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, good yeah. job, Craig. Yeah, well done. Thank yeah, you. but the Thank kid who the kid who's the kid who's doing better in maths than they are in science and in English and history or whatever, yeah, that's the kid to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not not to celebrate that kid, but to say I've done a good job by this guy. That's good. Love it. Final tip of the night, Adam. What is it? To make homework more effective, integrate it with classwork. Yeah, this intrigues me. Go on, tell me what you mean by this. Um, so I said at the beginning that I that I'm the education director at Carousel Learning, which is a home. It's not a homework platform. It's an, it's an online quizzing platform, um, and I've been thinking very, very hard for a, for about a year and a half now about homework. And I think the majority of homework doesn't work. Yeah, I think mm. most schools, most departments, most teachers are like, yeah, I set homework, but like, uh, it's just a nothing. And I think that. I think there's a, there's a few reasons for that. Um, I think the two main reasons are accountability and value. So accountability is you know whether the students are held to account for their homework performance. Um, so and that can range from a kid who doesn't do their homework. Do they get a consequence? Hmm. Is there a follow up? Normally, no. There's not. Um, and but it can range up to the quality of their homework as well. Yeah, a kid turns up. You set them ten questions at home. They've done the first two. Oh, so I didn't understand. Yeah. yeah the rest yeah i mean what, what do you mean you didn't understand the rest well i just couldn't i couldn't do question three and then, what about question four? Oh, I, what do you mean i couldn't do question three <laughs> yeah. what about question right so so that happens a lot and there's accountability there but like, but like also like who's going to give attention for that hmm. yeah because like they've done the homework they're just going to they're just going to resent you never give a detention to a kid who well, sorry, that's never never is a strong word yeah but giving a detention to a kid who doesn't understand what they've done is wrong or disagrees with you about whether what they've done is wrong it's it's good in a sense because the detention sends a signal to everybody else that this behavior is unacceptable right but for that kid it's clearly not going to do anything it's just going to breed resentment yeah so if a kid like like genuinely doesn't get well i just didn't understand like so what do you want from my life yeah i didn't understand it um now putting them in detention but what that means is that the accountability bar is low yeah there's yes. no accountability um 
there's also value that I think a lot of kids just don't see the point. They think mm. that homework is something that teachers do because it's part yeah. of their job and their parents will complain and there's a policy and it just needs to get done. Um, and, and I think both these things are a big problem. Uh, and one of the ways to kill those two birds with one stone is about integrating the homework with the classwork. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you use a do now that's based off questions from the homework, yeah, and you're explicit about the fact that you're going to do a do now based on the homework, you're explicit about the fact that I'm doing this because the homework's important and I want you to see that if you do the homework properly, you do better in class and I'll be so proud of you because you'll turn into a brilliant scientist. So what you're doing is you're showing them the value by feeding it into class, right? And you then also raise accountability because what you're saying, and this is key, if, you say to, if you're saying to a kid that you're going to take questions from the homework and put them in the do now, if they get the do now wrong, it shows whatever they did, they didn't do the homework properly. Mm. Proof's in the pudding here. Yeah, you say, look, guy, yeah, you, you, you're telling me you did the homework. Sure, fine, I get it. Yeah, but like, you couldn't do the do now. Something's going wrong. I'm going to hold you to account for it. This is what we're going to do. Doesn't necessarily mean a detention. They might say, you might say, you know, uh, we keep kids behind. We give them a laptop. We say, show me how you do your homework. Let me help. Let me help. Yeah, I want you to do better in class. That's I give you the homework so that you can do better in class. It's clearly not working. Let me help. Let me see what you're doing. Uh, and you do all of that through integration. And, and you know, I've given you a five-minute pricey. Like, I could spend hours talking about how to do this. You know, um, we've just written a document for Carousel called Retrieving Better, which goes into this, you know, quite deeply. We give webinars about this kind of stuff because it's difficult to get right. But when you do, you are bawling because the kids, like, get that the homework and the classwork are one and that they kind of mutually enforce each other so a couple of couple of just questions or points on this i think yes, the first one that that kid's not knowing the purpose of homework is is a massive one i'm, I'm a bit obsessed with this even like the do now kids not knowing the why we bother with the do just now or you know it's it's a big one isn't it because we kind of assume that they they know or they'll take it seriously but unless they know the purpose of it it's 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 really problematic um, my my question was though does this only work if the kids so imagine you're you're a child and you've you've tried your home you've genuinely tried your homework and you genuinely got stuck on it there's yeah. got to be kind of a, a, a an avenue for them to go down to get some support i, I assume that that's a kind of a bit of a prerequisite for this to work yeah 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 but but what but i would expect if a kid turns up and they've not done a homework because they didn't understand it and i didn't get an email i'll hold them to account right okay okay it's not it's not good enough yeah 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 that's good okay and have you seen results from this the this, this seemed to work in terms of the kids taking the homeworks more seriously this participation rate of homework gone up and stuff. oh yeah definitely yeah yeah um so we set um one homework well each class gets at least one quiz a week and i get 95 percent completion and to a good standard it took a long time it took a you know months um, but no months, weeks, half a term, maybe a bit longer. And and if a teacher's looking to implement this, well, what are some of the key things that they've got to get right? Is it, the messaging to kids, I assume, is going to be fairly high up the list? Yeah, look, it's it's difficult. And again, you know, I'm not here to advertise Carousel, but you're you're limited by platform as well. If your homework is just you know do questions online or whatever, uh, is is do questions from a book booklet or whatever and you're not going to be checking them you're just going to be going over them in class a lot of kids are going to slip through your net yeah. it's inevitable 
Um, so, you know, we we built Carousel in certain ways so that it would be easier for people to do stuff like this. So you can look at every student's response and mark them all. You know, you can mark a 15 question quiz from 30 kids in less than five minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. It then automatically gives you a display that you can use in class as a do now. It allows you to identify questions that a lot of students found difficult identify misconceptions you can mark them in front of the kids you can even if a homework's not due you can use the questions as you'll do now you put them up on your whiteboard it allows you to generate a quiz from them so we built it so that you could do that but if you've got fire and forget program and and by the way even really good programs yeah which are adaptive and have really good questions and supporting materials and videos and stuff there's normally there's no feed through into class other than you've done it you've done it you've not yeah, done it yes yeah yes. And, and that doesn't you know that that's that that's that's going to put a limit it's going to put a limit on you okay so it's it's not just the fact that the kids can get the kind of automated feedback or whatever and know whether they're right or wrong it's the key is this feed through into class that's the kind of make or break for this yeah that that is my opinion and my experience Adam, that has been absolutely fantastic. And now it's over to you. Is there anything you would recommend our listeners check out? And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> Teach Like a Champion, which I always recommend. Um, what things did we talk about? We spoke about mini whiteboards. Yeah, Teach Like a Champion is great. Um, team ethic stuff. There's some cool books that I've heard of that I've never read. Radical Candor. <laughs> Is very I've heard of that. I've never read that as well. I've so, never yeah, read it, but it sounds smashing. <laughs> it does, it um, does. Yeah. Um, data, you need to read Becky Allen's blogs for sure. Um, and also Adam Robbins has a really good blog about target grades, as does Ben Newmark has a really good blog about target grades. Uh, and then homework and classwork. Look, like, yeah, I'm not here to hawk my wares, um, but if you go onto the Carousel Learning blog, all of the blogs that I've written, I've aimed to be useful for everyone, even if you're not a Carousel user. Um, and there aren't a lot of blogs that I've seen about homework and how to get homework to work. Um, it just doesn't seem to be a particularly well-developed area. Everybody be talking about curriculum and cognitive science, and no one's like, yeah, how do I actually get kids to do homework? <laughs> well, Adam Boxer, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us on the Tips for Teachers podcast. My pleasure, Craig. Thank you for having me.